If you're, if you're visiting with us, if you're new here, if you're maybe checking us out for the first time, you're coming at, at a good time. We're just about to kick off a new series. Uh, so we're going to spend three weeks in this series, and the series is called Descending into Greatness. We're calling the series Descending to Greatness because as we get into this, this story this morning, we're going to be spending three weeks looking at the story of Joseph. We're going to see that Joseph was a man who experienced the greatness of who God was. The Bible, when it talks about greatness, it talks about the greatness of God. Psalm 145, David writes, uh, Yahweh, which is the name for God, is great and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. He's like, God is so amazing and so great. I I don't even know how to start searching it. I don't know where it starts. I don't know where it finishes. David's amazed by it. We're gonna see as we get into this story that Joseph is a man who is amazed by the greatness of God. And and how is he amazed? How does he experience that greatness of God? He descends, he comes low, he comes humbly before God. And as he does that, he experiences God in all of his greatness. Even through, as we, like I said, as we get into his story, you'll see that even through his life circumstances, it didn't matter to Joseph who people thought he was, it mattered to Joseph who he was following. He was completely encapsulated and at peace with the glory and the greatness of God, whether it resulted in material blessing or physical affliction. Joseph was faithful to God. Here's the thing, as we get into this this morning, we're gonna be in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 37, so you're gonna wanna follow along with me this morning, so if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, if you forgot to bring one, that's okay, just throw your hand up in the air. We have ushers that would love to get a copy of God's word into your hand, and if you don't have a Bible, keep that one. That's our gift to you this morning, but we're gonna be in Genesis chapter 37. And as we jump into this, you're gonna see that while Joseph experienced the greatness of God, there was many people around him and his family that had a very different idea of what greatness was. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. They they had their own idea of what greatness was and they were pursuing that and they were following that and they're going, this is what's gonna make my life great. As we get into the story, we're gonna see what, what happens to them, what happens to us when we follow our idea of what's gonna make us happy, what's gonna make us great, what's gonna be our identity. So Genesis chapter 37 is where we're gonna jump in this morning. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Before we start reading, we're gonna get into an introduction to Joseph and we're gonna see his family. We're gonna have a look at his family tree. I don't know, uh, I think most of you know I came over from Northern Ireland around 2011, so I've been here around five, six years now, but I don't know if it, if it um, started off here as well, but as I was leaving, there was this whole big new craze of tracing your family lineage, tracing your, your family tree and figuring out who you descended from. And there was all these websites popped up, ancestry.com and myfamilytree.com. And you went on and you pay a subscription, you pay like 20 bucks a month and you'd get access to all these resources and they'd help you track down where, where your family originated from. And I think that it really took off because a lot of people were excited and thought, wow, I, I wanna trace back and see if I'm related to, to royalty, to King George the first, or you know, maybe I'll have some big piece of family inheritance that I didn't know about. And then as they got into it, I think for, for people back home at least, they realized that their great-great-grandparents were sheep rustlers or plunderers or pirates or whatever it was, and it was like, okay, done with that, let's cancel the subscription, let's move on with life, my family isn't that great. Well, you know what, as we get into this this morning, we're going to see Joseph's family, and we're going to learn a lot about them and see that even though God chose to, God chose to use this family, God cho- chose to use Joseph, but they were messed up, broken people. So here we go, Genesis chapter 37. Starting at verse one, it says this, Jacob, we're gonna learn who he is. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. So that sounds pretty straightforward, right? 
Sounds like there's a pretty nice family dynamic going on there, looking after sheep in the meadow. Um, but as we, as we peel this back, we're going to see that there was something a lot different going on. I have a, a picture for you here this morning uh, of Joseph's family tree, and I want to explain just a little bit of what's going on, because it's going to be really important to the rest of the story here. So I've got my trusty laser pointer this morning, if you can follow me. So we have Joseph down here, Okay. But as we come back up, let's see what came before Joseph. We just finished our series on Abraham, so we're all familiar with the story of Abraham. So what happens is, as we go through this this family, you can see there's a reoccurring theme, a reoccurring trait through this family. So remember Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, God promises to to make a great nation and and bless them and, and give them children. What happens to Sarah and Abraham? They start to doubt that promise. They don't see it being fulfilled. So Sarah takes it into her own hands and says to Abraham, hey, hey, take Hagar and have kids with Hagar, and that's, that's, how, that's how we'll be complete. That'll, that'll be our identity. That's, that's how we'll fulfill God's promise, and we know how that finishes up. God finally gives them, uh, God does fulfill uh, the promise in his timing, and we see Isaac and Rebekah here. Isaac and Rebekah, they have Jacob and Esau, Jacob that, we re- that we're reading about here now in chapter 37. What happens here? Jacob, Jacob's jealous, Jacob's pining over the blessing of Isaac because Esau is the firstborn. So Jacob's not going to get the blessing. Jacob's not the firstborn, the favorite son, but he wants that. He's going to do whatever he can do to to get that. So he conspires with Rebekah and Jacob, and they they con Isaac, and Jacob gets the blessing. Jacob's like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I want, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that. So Jacob has to run away because he's fearful of what Esau is going to do. He just conned him out of his inheritance and his blessing. So Jacob runs away, and when he runs away, he meets Rachel, who's the mother of Joseph. So we have Jacob and Rachel. And Joseph falls in love and goes to her dad, Laban, and says, hey, hey, I, I want to marry your daughter. And Laban says, no problem. Work, work for me for seven years, and you can marry my daughter. So he's like, great, done. I'm in love. I'll, I'll work for you for seven years. Then if you know the story, that, um, Jacob, Jacob comes and gets married, and, and Laban presents his daughter, and she has a veil over her face, and I'm sure she was a beautiful bride and everything, and, and they get married and say, I do, and then, and then, uh, and then um, Jacob sorry, goes, goes away and realizes, hey, that, that wasn't Rachel I just married, that was Leah. So he goes back to Laban, and he's like, yo, what's with that man, like wrong daughter? And he said, oh, my bad, sorry, I told you I'd give you a daughter, I didn't say I'd give you... I didn't say which daughter I give you, so he gives her Leah. So Jacob ends up working for another seven years to have Rachel as well. But then here's the thing. Again, what happens? Leah is able to have children. So we see here she has Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah. And Rachel, Rachel's getting jealous. Rachel's like, Jacob, Jacob has all, all uh, his affections on Leah, and, and they have the blessing, and, and she, she's, she has what I have, what I want. So Rachel comes up with the same idea as Sarah. Not the best idea. Rachel says, hey, take Bilhah, my slave, and, and Jacob, we can have children through Bilhah. So, so Jacob has a couple of children through there. And then what happens to Leah is she can no longer have children, and they're all competing for Jacob's affections and what he thinks of them. So, so Leah ca- comes up with the same idea, not the best idea. Hey, take Zilphah, my slave, and, and you can have children through her, Jacob, and then, and then I'll be your favorite again. And then finally, Jacob and Rachel actually can have children, and Joseph is born. Who's thinking their family looks a whole lot better after going through that, right? (laughs) We have Jacob with four wives, with four different family dynamics going on here. And what are they all competing for? They're all competing for Jacob's affections. They're all competing for for his blessing to, to be the favorite, to be the best. 
They're all pining over someone else's affections. They're trying to find their worth and their identity by comparing themselves to others and saying, how am I doing? How am I shaping up against Rachel? How am I shaping up against Leah? How am I shaping up against my brother Esau? Their identity and their desire is based upon what they do and what other people think of them. They look for their happiness and satisfaction outside of what God promised them and outside of what God created them for to have a relationship with him. So as the brothers are all competing for Jacob's affections, how's that going for them? Well, we can read, and this is all before the story here that we get into this morning. We can read that, that Reuben, he goes and sleeps with Bilhah. Not a great move. So Jacob doesn't like Reuben very much. So he's out of the father's blessing. Simeon and Levi, they went out because their, their sister down here, Dinah, she, she, uh, she was humiliated by another man. So Simeon and Levi go to this other man in their community and trick him and, and they kill a whole bunch of people to, to revenge Dinah. But Jacob's mad at them because he was like, you can't go around killing people. Somebody else will come back and try to do the same to us. So he's mad at them too. So you have this whole different messed up family dynamic of the brothers all competing again for Jacob's affections and it's not going well. So we see here in verse two, it says this, Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. They don't exactly sound like stand-up guys, so I think that report was probably true. Now let's not get confused here, verse three, it says now Israel, that's Jacob, that's still the dad. Jacob got renamed Israel. Now the dad loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. We see here that the brothers, it says they hate Joseph. The Bible doesn't use that word lightly. They hated Joseph. And what's fueling that hatred? They're looking at Joseph and they're saying, Joseph's living the good life. Joseph's got what all of us want. Joseph's got what I want. Joseph's got the thing that's making him happy. He's the favorite. That's what I want. You know what? I'll do whatever it takes to get that. But you know what? Before we get up on our high horses this morning and say, oh, what a messed up family, man. I, I would never do that. What are the brothers? We all do that. We all do that in some regard. We all have our own definition of what greatness is for our lives. We all set this bar and this measure off. I'll be happy. I'll feel accomplished. I'll be able to say my life is great when, maybe it's when I'm successful, when I have money, when I have a nice house, when I'm popular, when I'm captain of my sports team, when I have the right body type and the right body weight that I've always been looking at. Maybe it's not material things. Maybe, maybe it's be able to say, I'll be able to say my life's great whenever I have a great family, when I, whenever I have great kids, whenever I have a great marriage, whenever I have a great reputation and, and other people speak highly of me. Here's the problem with any of these factors to define greatness. They're all about us, what we're doing or what somebody else is doing. We can chase and strive to be great, kind, good people, look at what we've done, and all of a sudden, our definition of greatness is us. One of Kanye West's famous songs, I don't know if you remember the song, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, maybe some of you do. There's a line in that, that says, he says this, bow in the presence of greatness, you should be honored by my lateness. He raps better than me. But, but what's he saying? He's saying, it's all about me. Look at me, look how great I am. And we all do that to some regard. And guess what the Bible calls that? Pride. It's pride. It's a prideful heart. So no, Kanye, I'm not honored by your lateness. Just leave the house sooner, okay? It's basic time management skills. We all do this, though, where, where we say, 
You know, it's something about us, and we want to say, look at what we've done. And, and when we have a heart of pride, pride is a self-dependency that we think we know best, and we've got it figured out. And we're going to see this morning that out of this pride comes division, there comes quarreling, there comes strife, there comes unrest, there comes that I'll do whatever it takes to get their attitude, and there's separation. So the sermon title this morning is this, The Consequence of Pride. What does pride result in? What do our prideful hearts result in. So the first point is this, if you're taking notes this morning, pride consumes my heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, okay, he's going to talk about pride. I can kind of switch off. You know, pride's not really one of those things I struggle with. Like, don't get me wrong, I struggle with lots of things, but I just don't really have a prideful heart. It's not really, it's not really my thing. It's not something that I struggle with. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not sure if I have a prideful heart. Can I say this morning? Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Every single person in this room, myself included, we all have prideful hearts. Why can I make a bold statement like that? Well, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Pride is at the root of every single sin. Pride is at the root of all sin. Every sin is rooted in pride. Think how sin was born. Think how the, the devil, Satan, it was born out of his, his pride. He, wanted, he, he looked at God and said, I'm, I'm just as great as God. Every sin is rooted in pride. You can pick any of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Pride. No, no, no. Like, you don't get it. You don't, know, you don't understand how hard my, my dad was on me and my mom wasn't that great and, and they put all of these expectations on me and they hurt me and they weren't great parents to me so I don't want to honor them. Like my dad still wears socks with his flip-flops and they're not cool and all that kind of stuff. What is that? That's pride. Do not covet. Pride. I wish I had that. I'd be happier with that. I actually deserve that. I've worked really hard for that. I'm going to spend all my money on me. Do not have any other gods before me. Pride. Well, I, I put God first a lot of the time, but I have this Netflix subscription that's really great, and I'm going through this series, and I just got a lot of stuff going on in my life, so I know I'm supposed to meditate in God's word and, and put it first, but I'm just too busy. I got a lot of life going on. It's pride. Do not kill. Pride. Yeah, but you don't understand what that person did to me. I did the whole grace and forgave them seven times and 77 times, but they just kept throwing it back in my face. So they're dead to me. I'm never going to talk to them again. I hope I never see them again. In fact, I hope I do see them again so I can, so I can turn the other way and, and give them the cold shoulder. It's all pride. We could, I could go on all morning. You think of any sin. It's, it's all rooted in pride. Here's the other thing pride does in our lives. The Bible tells us to to do what? With, with worry, with fear, with guilt, with anxiety. Cast all our cares upon him for he cares for you. Yeah, okay, I get that. I, I might say a quick prayer in the morning, but I'm going to be anxious. I'm just, a, I'm just a person that needs to control things, that needs to worry, that, that needs to figure things out by myself. It's a prideful heart. Here's the thing this morning. The reason why we're spending a whole sermon looking at pride is that pride is the biggest roadblock in our lives between us and God. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud. Do you have a prideful heart this morning? God opposes the proud. Scary thought. God opposes the proud, but it says this, but gives grace to the humble. So here's our subpoint this morning. What do we do with our hearts when pride consumes our heart? I must surrender my heart to God. Because a heart consumed with pride it's a lost heart. It's a lost life. 
The gospel tells us that we're, that we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. We're dead in our pride. The gospel tells us that we're in desperate need of a savior, and that savior is Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that we've sinned before a, a holy, just, pure God. We see that in, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are there, and, and what happens? They sin. They sin against God. They go against, they think, we know better, and they go against God, and God has to cast them out of the garden because God is a holy, pure, just God and can't dwell where sin dwells. And they're separated from God, but then God makes a way for us to come back into communion with him. And that's by he stepped out of heaven. God as a man in, in the, uh, the fullness of God um, was pleased to dwell in him, in Jesus. Jesus comes to this earth, lives this perfect life that, that we could never live. Takes his punishment that he did not deserve, but that we deserved. And he dies in our place. And that the, when the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, Jesus took that punishment for us. But so that when we believe in Jesus... We're made right with God. We're brought back into relationship with God again. We've been saved from death and given you life. That's the gospel, amen? That's where it says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Jesus in Matthew 18, he says this, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself, what's that doing? Getting rid of your pride. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How do you submit your heart to God? By confessing your desperate need of him. By coming and saying, God, I realize there's nothing that I can do in my own strength, in my own power, in my own good works. Jesus, I need you. God created us in the first place to be in a relationship with him. So when we're not, here's the thing, as we see in this story, we always feel empty and restless. We're always trying to fill the void with something else. Understanding and coming to this relationship, experiencing the greatness of God is when we realize that Jesus is our wholeness. Jesus equals wholeness for us. Here's the thing, when, when we're prideful, what do we say? We say, no, 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 my, my job and, and, and my friends and my reputation, that's what's equals wholeness for me. Or maybe we're even a Christian, maybe we're a Christ follower, but our hearts have gone to, yeah, it, it's Jesus plus this equals wholeness. It's Jesus plus my friends. It's Jesus plus my job. It's Jesus plus my kids. It's Jesus plus whatever that equals wholeness. Maybe it's even more prideful than that. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's just sin that we're embracing. Jesus plus what I watch makes me whole. Jesus plus being able to gossip about other people, that's what, that's what makes me whole. It's contrary to what God tells us. When we start following Jesus plus a little bit what comes out of our heart, we're not understanding the gospel and it gets us into all sorts of trouble. Because Jesus called us to die to ourselves and live for him, to put off our old selves and put on the new life in Christ and the Holy Spirit. So when we do that, when we say, hey, I'm following Jesus plus a little bit of this, it's like going into the restaurant and saying, hey, I'm gonna order the Caesar salad, I'm a vegetarian, so just a little bit of bacon, okay? like, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm a vegetarian, so I want the Caesar salad, but just, just, I still want some bacon in there, just a little bit of bacon. 
Waitress is going to look at you, right, and be like, you're not a vegetarian. What's that like for us following Jesus? Here's the thing. I'm not saying that if we have, if we have sin in our life, then am, am I a Christ follower? No, that's, that's exactly why Jesus had to come. But here's the thing. If you're ordering up sin, if you're liking that, if you're wanting that, if you're putting that before everything else, if you're putting that before Jesus, maybe you haven't truly understood the gospel this morning. Maybe you haven't truly understood who Jesus is this morning. When you accept Jesus, when you're humble, you're saying, God, I value you above anything else. I value your word above anything else. I value the leading of your spirit above anything else. So we don't say, I know God's word says this about this relationship, but I just feel in my heart that it, you know, it's, it's a good thing and it's not doing anybody any wrong and, it, and, and it's good for me. I know God's word says that I should forgive that person, but in my heart, I still, it's just, it really wasn't right what they did for me, and I'm just going to hold out on that. I'm just not going to forgive them, so hopefully, you know, know, I'll teach them a lesson through that, and no, we have to hold true to what God's word says. Here's three general places your prideful heart will, will take you, and I've talked to people with all of them. One is just, I don't need God. I don't need God. Who's God? I spoke to a guy in Perry Sound a couple of weeks ago, and he, he was talking about getting old, and you know, he was saying, well, you know, I won't be here one day, and probably my day will come before yours. And I said to him, well, yeah, like, and where do you think you'll be after that day? And he said, oh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, is, what is that? And it, it sounds funny, right? But, but it, like, seriously, I'm like, what is that? And he's like, well, well I, I don't know. Like, I've... You just, whatever. Like, I, I don't think I need God. I, I'll just, you know, I'll figure it out. F- figure it out when it gets there. It'll be, I'll be all right. Here's the other thing, though. You, you meet the kind of people that say, well, well, I'm good enough, or I think I'm good enough. I go to church, maybe, or I read my Bible, or I, I'm just a good person, and I, I volunteer, and I give lots of time to charity, and I try to do my best for people. You know, God likes me, or... I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I just needed Jesus to patch me up a little bit to get me over the line. Here's the thing. The gospel tells Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not by your works. It's not about what we do. So that what? So that we can't boast about it. So that we can't be prideful. Here's the other place that a prideful heart can take you. I've sinned too much. I'm worthless, I'm hopeless. You know what, I had my chance with God, I did the whole Sunday school thing and I've heard it before, but I messed up, I did my own thing, I, I chose this and I'm just, I'm just too much for God, I missed my chance. I can't be part of this church. I'm a loser, I don't deserve it. You know what, my parents told me I wouldn't amount to anything and, and look, it's true, what happened? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay in my, in my pity, in my sorrow, in my, in my worry over here. That's pride. That's pride saying, Jesus couldn't forgive me. You know what? Jesus came to this earth and it says in the Bible that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's anybody. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He died for us and did he stay dead? Hello? Did he stay dead? Okay, you're still awake, okay. Did he stay dead? No, okay, he, he rose again. He had victory over death. 
So is there anybody that thinks they're just in their mortal bodies? Is there anybody here that thinks they're not going to die this morning? No, okay, welcome to church. We're all going to die. Okay, we are all going to die at some point in our bodies. Jesus came and showed, I have victory over that, even death itself. So you know what? If you're going to die this morning, guess what? Jesus is more powerful than anything that's going on in your life. Jesus is more powerful than any sin that you've committed in your life. Jesus is more powerful than any identity that someone else has spoken over you into your life. So I want to speak over that pride this morning that says, I'm too much for God. If you think you're If you think that's true, why would God have sent his son to die for no reason? It says that God opposes the proud. So if you are over here this morning, don't throw your hands up and say, oh, see, God opposes the proud. He's against me too. Here's the beautiful thing about when God opposes something. When God opposes something, he doesn't push it off to the side. He doesn't say, hey, you messed up. Oh, that that didn't work out. So you go sit over there. And what happened to this world when it fell into sin? God didn't say, okay, New project, let's start a new universe. No, he stepped out of heaven, God as a man, and came to this earth. Why? To defeat sin, to come after sin, to have victory over sin. God's coming after your your pride this morning because God opposes it. And when God opposes something, he doesn't throw us off to the side, he comes after it. And he comes after it through Jesus this morning. So what's going on in your life this morning? What are you embracing that you shouldn't be embracing? What are you, what, how, are you, how are you sinning where you just know it's not right? Maybe even God's just putting something on your heart right now where you're like, I've never really thought about it before, but that's prideful. God opposes that this morning and says, I want to have victory over that in Jesus Christ. I want you to commit that to me this morning. It's so important that we surrender our hearts because you'll see when pride consumes our hearts, our second point this morning is this, that pride consumes my actions. Let's get back into the story. Let's, let's see. So we know that the pride is in the brothers' hearts, and then we start to see it coming out in their actions. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. So his brothers said, Are you indeed to reign over us? They're like, Oh, great. Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, the father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Very interesting, that last little line, that the brothers just hated him for it, cursed him for it. It says, the father rebuked him, but then he also kept the saying in mind. I think the reason why is because Jacob was a person who had heard God powerfully speak to him in the past. So I think even in Jacob's heart, he's saying to Joseph, wow, really, I'm going to bow down to you? But then he keeps it in mind. He's like, you know what, maybe that was from, maybe that's from the Lord. Here's the thing, if you know the story of Joseph as we, as we go through it in these next few weeks, you're going to see that Joseph isn't making this dream up. The dream comes to pass. We see next week that God has given Joseph this gift and ability to interpret dreams. And even this dream he's talking about comes true. 
There's no denying the dream is from God. And the terminology that Joseph uses, look back over those verses again, verses 5 to 8 and see. He uses the word behold a lot. He says, behold, I had this dream, and, and behold, this happened, and behold, this happened, and hey, behold, I had another dream. That word behold is the same word that's used when the prophets of the Old Testament would speak and say, behold. It's like saying, thus saith the Lord. This is from God. And I think we know what happened to Old Testament prophets if they prophesied falsely. They got stoned, they got put to death, so it's not something you want to do lightly. Joseph uses this same word, these same words. You can see all of examples through, through Scripture. Psalm 51, David declares, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, what does he say? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Joseph brings these dreams to his brothers and he says, Behold, the Lord has spoken. This is what God is, is telling me. This is what God has has given me. And he knows it's not going to be popular. I think Joseph wasn't, wasn't a dumb guy. I think he picked up that his brothers weren't exactly fond of him. And you know what? I've read this story so many times, and I've heard, it, I've heard it taught lots of times, and even myself this week, I was wrestling through this, and, and you start to read it, and you're thinking like, wow, Joseph, like, what a jerk. What a jerk move. Way to go, like, brag in front of your brothers that you know hate them already. And, and here he is declaring all of these dreams and saying, I'm going to be all of this. And we think about the pride of Joseph, right? But then, as he wrestled with this more and, and read into it and, and talked about it even, you see, here's the thing. Joseph was confident in the message that God had given him. He knew it probably wasn't going to go over well with his family, but he was still willing to share it. Loved ones, I'd say this this morning. Don't ever apologize for having the courage to stick by what God's word says. That's not arrogance or pride. That's faithful obedience to God. There's a very big difference in sticking up for something for our own agenda and sticking up for something that we know that God's word says. You can say, well, well, what good was it for Joseph to share his dream? Well, we'll see later in the story, the dream comes true, and the, and the brothers, they, they're like, this is undeniably God. This is God at work, and, and Joseph is this powerful witness of that being, them being able to see, wow, this was from God all along. If Joseph hadn't shared that dream, the brothers, when they get to that point in the story, and they see Joseph, and, and, and they are bowing down to him, we'll get into that in a couple of weeks, they, they could have just looked at Joseph and said, wow, Joseph really got some lucky breaks, didn't he? Joseph, you really landed on your feet somehow. Like, how did that work out? Did they do that, like, undercover boss TV show with you? And kind of, did you get promoted? Or, like, what happened? But, like, they know, though, because Joseph had shared this message of what God had put on his heart. Here's the thing. Our message today is not always one that wants to be heard, is it? You may have people in your, in your own house or in your workplace or in your circle of friends and as you live a life and speak to them and tell them that, you know what, Jesus is the only way that they can be made right with God and go to heaven, they'll look at you and say, wow, how prideful are you? How arrogant are you? How dare you tell me that this is the way I should live? Or this is who I should surrender to? Or you're telling me that, that you have a relationship with God, but I don't know God or I'm not right with God? Sometimes we're called to speak the truth and it may cost us. It may cost you a, a reputation. It may cost you a, a friendship. It may cost you a job opportunity. It may cost you a relationship. 
And it's not that we go in as arrogant people and, and throw everything that we have at people. The Bible tells us that always be prepared to give a defense of the hope that's in you, but what? Do it with what? Do it with gentleness. Do it with gentleness and respect. Here's the thing, when we have a prideful heart, we always want to put ourselves before God. We don't want to accept the cost. So if we're following Jesus this morning, if Jesus called us to be disciples and say, hey, go out into, go out into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, spread the good news, maybe here's where you're prideful this morning. Here's a couple of questions for you. When was the last time you shared Jesus with someone? When was the last time you made a decision or had to make a sacrifice based on the fact that you're following Jesus? Well, I don't know, like it's, it'll be, it's really awkward at work, you know, it's, it's, it's hard with my friends because it's just not a cool thing to talk about and it's really awkward and I want to get on well with them so, you know, so we'll have that relationship with them. How much of that is maybe just our own pride? We don't want to have that awkward conversation. We do, we're not very good at it. You know, we, I don't know if that's really my thing. I'll maybe you know, invite them to church and hopefully somebody else will tell them about it, but I don't really know if I'm called to that. No, no, we're all called to that, whether it's from a stage or a pulpit or whether it's from a place in an office or whether it's on a job site or wherever it is, we're all called to do that. Here's the thing, when life gets hard, when the cost comes, when the trials and tribulations that God promises, by the way, in his word, that will come, Jesus says, if we're gonna follow him, let a man first count the cost. You know what, when those hard times come sometimes, when we have our, our own prideful agenda, we say, well, forget that, that's too hard, I'm gonna go do this, I'm gonna go act this way, that's, that's, I'm worth more than that. So here's the subpoint this morning, what do we do with that? I have to, I must surrender my actions to him. When we have a heart of pride, a heart that's living for ourselves, we end up willing to act on it, do whatever it takes to please us. When we follow our own hearts, whatever the cost, there's an ultimate cost to us. So let's keep going with the story this morning. Verse 18, so we're gonna skip a little bit of the story. Basically, the, the brothers are out pasturing the flock and Joseph stayed behind with his dad and his dad says to Joseph, hey, go find your brothers, see how they're getting on. So Joseph comes to the brothers. In verse 18, it says this, they saw him from afar, and before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and then we'll see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Why did he say that? That he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, what did they do? They stripped him off his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Here's the thing, the brothers couldn't stand to see him. They didn't like what Joseph stood for. They didn't like what he represented. And you can see here what did it breed? It bred division and quarreling and fighting and hatred and ultimately bred an action where they wanted to kill him. But they decided to throw him into a pit. Let's get rid of him. Let's toss him out. What are the things that are present in your life, in your relationships, where you want to just 
get rid of Jesus? Where's the pride in your life? Where, where maybe think in your life, where is there division or quarreling or fighting or unrest? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in the people you work with. Is there any pride in your part in that? Yeah, well, but, but that's because they did. No, no, no. What about you? Have you laid down your pride in that situation? What are the areas in our life that we want to throw Jesus into the pit and say, you know what, I don't mind you being around Jesus, but what I watch when I'm by myself, don't go there. Don't tell me that I have to forgive that person. Don't tell me to love my enemy. I might pray for them, but I'm not going to love them. Don't tell me I need brothers and sisters in my life. I can do it by myself. Don't tell me I'm supposed to submit to others. Don't tell me I'm supposed to be part of this church family. Don't tell me I should be the first one to come and apologize to my spouse again. Here's the thing. Are you willing to surrender and say, how do we, how do we surrender our heart? How do we surrender our actions to Jesus? Are we willing to come to him and say, Jesus, I feel like doing this. In my own heart, this is where my heart wants to go. But could you, Jesus, give me the humble obedience to forgive that person? Jesus, forgive me. Give me the humble obedience to, to love others that hate me, just as you died for me when I was against you. Jesus, give me the humble obedience to lay down my pride and ask for counsel and ask for support and ask for help when I truly need it. Jesus, give me the humbleness to focus on my sin rather than the sin of everybody else around me. Do we submit to Jesus or do we try to throw him into the pit? Here's a couple of ways that we can do that. We see how the brothers do it. One is that we, we don't actively, it seems like we don't actively oppose Jesus. We just quietly dispose of him. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat so, so uh, Joseph is in the pit at this point. They sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing a whole bunch of goods, their traders. Verse 26, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to them. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and they sold him to the Ishmaelites. Judah was like, yeah, you know what? I want to get rid of Joseph, but killing him seems a little extreme. So let's just kind of put him over here. Let's, let's let him take off with the Ishmaelites. Do we try to use... Maybe that's how we try to quietly dispose of Jesus. We'll say, you know what? Yeah, we'll say grace before, um, before, we, get, you know, before we eat and, and we'll pray the odd time and we'll maybe even come to church, but Jesus, I don't want you totally in my life. Maybe we do this. Do we ever try to use Jesus for our own gain? Look at what Reuben did. Reuben on the outside, right? Reuben was the guy that said, no, 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 let's not, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in his pit. And why did it say that he did that? Because Reuben wanted to be able to rescue him and restore him to his father again. Verse 29, though, look, it says, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Man, it seems like Reuben really cared, huh? And he returned to his brothers and he said, the boy, not Joseph, he's like, the boy is gone. What's he concerned about? 
And I, where shall I go? Reuben thought, I think Reuben thought of this great plan that he'd be the hero. Remember, he was the guy that had slept with, with one of Jacob's wives. And so he was out of favor and he's thinking, wow, if I, I could rescue Joseph and I can restore him to his father, maybe that'll do something for me too. I think that's where that's coming from, where, where Reuben's like, where, where shall I go? What am I going to do? This plan didn't work out. He was trying to use Joseph for his own selfish gain. Maybe for some of us this morning, we try to use Jesus for our own gain. Where's your heart with Christ this morning? Where are your actions with Christ this morning? How do we submit our actions to God? Well, I would say this. How often do you pray before you enter a situation? How often do you pray for clarity after you come away from a conversation with someone? Do you commit your actions to God each day, past and future? God, I I confess to you, here's where I acted out of my own heart today. God, this, this person hurt me today. Would you extend me grace to them as you extend? Would I be able to extend grace to them as you extend grace to me? God, here's where I acted out of my own selfish gain today. God, I confess that to you. Would you help me to walk in your way? I say, how do we submit our actions? We take them to God in prayer often. Like we said, God, in my own heart, I want to do this, but God, I'm going to follow you and what you call me to do. God, I'm thinking of buying this car or property. Is this how you would have me spend my money? God, I feel like I, I don't want to serve. Would you give me a servant heart? Here's the last point quickly. As pride consumes our heart, as pride consumes our actions, ultimately, pride consumes my life. Verse 31, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat. So Joseph has been sold. They got rid of him slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and, and mourned for his son many days and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I will go down to Sheol to my son's mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. That's where we're going to pick up the story next week. But look at that, those last few verses. What was, what was the whole motivation for the brothers to do all of this? How did this all start? Why, why did they sell him? Why did they, why did they hate him? They all wanted the father's affections, right? They all wanted that love and acceptance and that identity, and they were working so hard and plotting so hard and even working together to get it. And then they finally get Joseph out of the way, and and they come to comfort their dad. They come to have that acceptance. And you see there's separation there. It says the father refuses them. All of their deeds and wanderings had brought them to this point that they'd been pining for his love, this acceptance, this wanting to be the best. The very thing that they actually are after, the love of the Father, is further distance from them. As they, as they come and say, look what happened. And instead, they're left to live a lie before their dad. They're left in a, in a life of guilt and shame and with a relationship with their father that's broken. 
Here's the thing, there comes a day at the end of our lives where we're gonna have to stand before God and we're gonna have to give an account for what we have done. And are we gonna have to say to God, this this is how we betrayed you, this is how we rejected you, this is how we put ourselves before you. These are the things that we did to live our own life the way we wanted to. Because here's the thing, the Bible talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin can feel good for a while. Pride can feel good for a while. To be the guy or the girl that everybody else wants to be can feel good for a while. But this is where it leads to it. Ultimately, a prideful heart ultimately leads to death. It ultimately leads to separation from God. So the question this morning is this, are we content with living a prideful life here on earth that ultimately leads to a separation from our Father in heaven? Or are we ready to live a life of humility that leads to eternal unity in heaven through Jesus Christ? So as the worship team comes up this morning, our, our sub-point to this this morning as we finish off is this, I must surrender my life to him. Are we going to let our sin consume our life? What's your desire for this morning? Bible tells us that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Do you have a heart of pride this morning? Do you have a heart that doesn't want to forgive? Do you have a heart that says, I can handle a little bit of sin in my life. I know I shouldn't be doing this and it's not really hurting anybody else, but I've got it under control. You need to surrender that to Christ this morning. Maybe for the very first time this morning, you don't know Jesus. You've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been holding off saying, I'll do it when I'm later. I don't want the cost. I don't want, it's going to disrupt life too much. Could this morning be this morning, the morning when you surrender to Jesus? Why is it so important to to guard our hearts against pride, to guard our actions against pride, to guard our life against pride? James 1 says this, desire, our heart, when it, is, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I read that verse, and I'm like, wow, that escalated quickly. Desire, sin is born out of it, leads to death. We have to guard our hearts, guard our actions, guard our lives this morning. Maybe the challenge for you this morning is this, God's not giving up on you. God does oppose the pride in our lives. God does oppose that sin or that identity or whatever it is that's going on in your life. Whatever God has put on your heart this morning, God does oppose that. But like we, like we talked about, like I shared, when God opposes something, he comes after it. He came after it with Jesus for each and every one of us. And so this morning, we have to, we have to continually surrender to Jesus. Jesus. 